That's what he said. When you fast. And then he promptly gives his disciples instructions on what not to do. Amen? And then he comes to a point in this discussion and he hits a period and he says, right there, but (laughs) when you fast. So he was talking about how some people fast and they're looking for attention while they do it, right? We know that. That's the first half of Matthew 6 right there. And then he says, but when you fast, this is how I want you to do this. You can read that text on your own. We already did that a week or so ago. So this passage, in this passage, we need to look at a word here. The word used by Jesus when he says, when you fast, that word, fast, what does that word mean? It literally means not to eat. Now, I know that it has become very en vogue to fast all kinds of stuff. I hear people talk about fasting social media, fasting all kinds of different things. Uh, I, I can't come up with a whole list of them, but people, it's become very popular to say that when I fasted, I didn't fast food. Although fasting fast food would be a good thing. But fast here in Matthew 6 literally means not to eat. So a a literal reading of this text here would be when you do not eat. Has Jesus ever minced words in the Bible? Never. So... But we need to look at this. Jesus, when he said this, he was speaking directly about a given thing, but simply not eating for whatever reason that you may choose is not necessarily biblical fasting either. So fasting is not eating, but not eating doesn't have to be biblical fasting either. Is a hunger strike put on by some political dissident, is that a fast? Is a starvation diet, because you've just got to fit into that dress before you go to your class reunion, is that a biblical fast? Is a body of people not eating publicly for the purpose of drawing attention to a given specific cause, is that a fast? No, it's not. The definition of fasting, if you want to extract it out of the dictionary, Oxford says to fast is to abstain from foods, comma, as a religious observance. Okay? Now, So far, so good. We've got Oxford Dictionary kind of running hand in hand with Jesus' use of the Greek. This is not eating. But Oxford adds on to that the idea of a religious observance. As David R. Smith, 
says in his book, Fasting, a Neglected Discipline, he says this, it may be said that fasting is essentially religious, but not essentially Christian, and involves the personal intake of food. So fasting at its core deals with religion, but religion is not synonymous with Christianity. What exactly does this mean? Fasting is essentially religious, but not essentially Christian. Well, let's understand the idea of the word essential. This is classic Bedard uh, uh, exegesis here, so let's just go with this. Essential implies belonging, now listen, is something that's essential, implies belonging to the very nature of a thing. Okay? It is an essential part of this thing that this other thing belongs there. And with religion, it is an essential element that fasting consists within the confines of religion. And therefore, the definition continues, it's not, you, it's not able to be removed without destroying the nature of the bigger thing itself. Because fasting is not essentially Christian, but is essentially religious, the practice can be found in other religions. Just because Jesus said it doesn't mean it's uniquely Christ or Christian or Christ. I'm sorry, I'm going to get my words flat out here. It's not uniquely Christian. Just because he said that. It can be found in other religions, both ancient as well as modern. For example, if I were to ask you if the practices and traditions of Judaism are religious or are they Christian, what would you say? What about this? What if I asked the same question? Is the, is the practices and the traditions of Hinduism, are they religious or are they Christian? How about Islam? How about Buddhism? The list can go on and on. We could do this all day, Captain America. Well, of course they're religious. And all of these religions that I just listed, and probably a a whole bunch more, practice fasting as part of their religious observance. Why? Because it's essential to religion. The disciples understood exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, when you fast, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They had fasted in the past on many occasions because Judaism, from a religious point of reference, provided for such times of religious discipline. They actually, in their law, provided for times of fasting specifically. At, one, at that time in history, it was actually provided and accepted that Jews fasted from an obligatory 
perspective once a year. How do I know this? Easy. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 23. Numbers chapter 29. All discuss annual prescribed fasts for the Jews. If you're writing it down, it's Leviticus 16, 29 through 31. Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. And Numbers 29 and 7. I saw people immediately go to their pads. So, Even John the Baptist <laughs> practiced fasting. He even taught fasting to his disciples. How do we know that? Well, there's Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 33. We know this was going on. So when Jesus said, when you fast, don't do this, do this. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Quote, our Lord was not advocating something new by this remark uh, of his about fasting. Religion and fasting have gone together from the beginning, end quote. Thomas Cartwright, this is not someone anybody here would know, trust me. Thomas Cartwright, although he was a notable author and a distinguished Elizabethan Puritan, wrote a book back in 1580. That book was entitled, The Holy Exercise of a True Fast. In his book, Cartwright showed the difference between religious fasting, which involved the body only. Now here is where we get to where the rubber hits the road for meaning of fasting that we need to assimilate and internalize. Religious fasting spoke of this, which involved the body only, just not taking in food, and that which involves the mind, the spirit, and the body. There's a huge difference. Cartwright wrote about this. He wrote that true fasting consists of outward bodily exercises, not jumping jacks and push-ups, but actual actions that the person goes through and participates in. Proper fasting consists of outward bodily exercises together with inward virtues that are helped forward by those same bodily exercises, religious things. Now, being the first minister in England after the Reformation, to expound this matter so clearly, which if he was the first one to discuss it, no one had a clue about it. So clearly he corrected a whole lot of confusion concerning fasted, fasting that had circulated for literally centuries. That fasting, ladies and gentlemen, fasting isn't merely just not eating and, oh, well, Jesus must be happy, I didn't eat breakfast. That's not fasting. As a matter of fact, remember when I read Isaiah 58 two weeks ago? You're just doing this for a day? You're humbling yourself for a day? Referring to Numbers in Leviticus? Remember? Yeah, that's not fasting. That's not eating. There's a difference. Quote, there is all the difference in the world between dietary, mere dietary discipline even if it's entered into with a view of being more religious, there's a difference between that and spiritual 
self-denial, which is assisted by dietary discipline. We're going to get to what all that means. As Paul said, bodily exercise, he said this in 1 Timothy 4, bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So just not eating isn't doing anything. But if you're not eating to help you use a vehicle to move your spirituality and godly intent forward, now we're talking. Outward fasting without inward fasting, if entered into for religious purposes, is a form of godliness without any dynamic or benefit. Remember, what we're talking about here is what is fasting. The point is that all religious fasting has had the intention of being both outward and inward and must of necessity embrace both these aspects. Now, good intentions have paved a lot of people's highways to hell. It's not just good intentions that we have to have. If we're going to move forward in God, both individually and as a congregation, we're going to have to be fixed on the idea that as we enter into a church fast, we're going to have to do it with purpose and intent that we as individuals are going to change what needs purging and move forward as a church that alters the trajectory of people's lives. I am tired of swapping church members with other churches when there are lost people who are not going to enter into this church unless we change. You can't expect the world to change. They're not going to unless they're going to change for the worse. They are on a trajectory toward hell and darkness and the conspicuous absence of God. For all eternity, we need to change ourselves in order to reach those lives. Or we're just another social club, wasting our time and, oh, I almost said something, with really good musicians. Fasting, fasting, not eating, when you do not eat, that's nothing more than the taxi cab that's bringing you to the destination of changing the carnality and the weakness in your spirit and bringing it to a place of elevated godliness and holiness. You can fast all day long. And if you have zero intent on changing to be transformed into the image of the Son of God, you're wasting your time. It must be born in mind. 
always that fasting, as understood by the Jews and as was taught by the Lord, involves the mind and the spirit, as well as the body. And it is entered into only for religious reasons. That is the constant, ladies and gentlemen. I believe that it's important to understand that the discipline of fasting is in reality an indication, now listen careful, of our whole approach towards personal salvation. It reflects one's sense of of discipleship and individual discipline. If a Christian fasts in a Christian way, he is not just disciplining his eating, he is symbolizing all of his personal life in one action. A Christian who fasts is by virtue of his new nature in Christ an abstainer in every aspect. Did you hear that? Your Christianity, your new life in Christ is not undergirded by indulgence. It is undergirded in self-denial and abstaining from the world and all it has to offer. Fasting is, is an action that portrays and symbolizes that thing. You do not come to Christ to say, well, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Sit on a church pew when you're in the mood. Watch the chosen because that's what Christians do. And you do nothing else. That's not Christianity. Let me tell you something. Worshiping all things worldly, have to buy this, have to have this, have to have the new phone, have to have that, the other thing, everything. Once this car gets two years, I need a new car right now. i got to have a boat. Why? Because they have a boat. That stuff, that's the world, and it's your flesh. If you don't need a boat because you're not a fisherman, don't go get a boat. Know what you can do with that money? And I know fishermen. I know people who who live on the water. I, that more power to you. Matter of fact, that man right over there, Randy Warren. He literally uses his boat and fishing as a ministry to the pastor and his kids. Literally. And he stays on us to go fishing. And it's, I promise you, it's not because that's how much he likes me. He likes the boys. He can live without me, right? I mean, I'm just telling you. But if you have to buy something just because, if you have to live a life of consumption, you're constantly... That's not Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, and you need to take a hard look look in the mirror, as James says. 
The book of James tells you, look into the mirror of the word. Find out what matter of man you are. Because Christianity isn't about consumption. Christianity is about doing without, self-abasement, and abstaining. That's what fasting is. That's what fasting does. A Christian who fasts is by virtue of his new nature in Christ an abstainer in all respects. He does not carry anything to excess and always knows when to draw the line. As far as his bodily appetites are concerned, he knows where to draw the line. The essence of the discipleship, the discipline of fasting, can be summarized in this following quote. It's a biggie. Self-denial is important to Christian life because it is character forming. Why does my character need to be formed by doing without? Why? You know, it's so funny. The whole philosophy of so many preachers thinking they need the greatest car and the greatest house and all this other stuff. I find that so funny because I, I need to ask them when they start spewing their prosperity uh, preaching and their prosperity uh, uh, scriptures and all that stuff. I just, I, I just stop. And I, I, you know, I'm not going to sit there and argue your talking points with you, but I just want you to show me uh, Jesus' vacation home. I just need you to show me that. Here. Just show it. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's break it right down to, j- just show me his, his, his donkey. He, if he didn't have a Ferrari, did he have a donkey? Everything was foot power. He was a Flintstone. That was funnier than y'all are reacting. Oh, now you laugh. If you want to know how you're supposed to live, don't you dare turn on your TV and listen to your favorite flavor of the month preacher you watch jesus in that book you forget those tv preachers you watch him here and if it's not in here you shun it man this is fun isn't it i told you you weren't going to run the aisle i told you Form your character up like Jesus. This quote goes on. Self-denial encourages a believer to see the Lord as his all in all and his complete source of sufficiency. You want to know if whether or not you've got sufficiency? Has God provided it? Yes. Is he providing the next thing that you're drooling over? No, you're sufficient. The Christian who denies himself becomes less important in his own eyes and grows into an awareness of the glorious sovereignty of God. As self grows less and less, see John the Baptist, Jesus becomes more and more of a personal Savior and King. Jesus did not offer His followers a feather bed life. If you doubt that, read the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 60 through 66. He made the need for personal discipline perfectly clear. We are called to live a consistent life of self-effacement and unselfishness. We may have inherited eternal life, that gift which God bestows. We may be saved from sin by grace, the way having been clearly marked and open for us. But 
to enrich that salvation, continually growing in grace, there must be self-denial. To go on with the Lord means to live in obedience. In order to be enlarged in one's spiritual life, we must desire the continual death of self. No Christian can become victorious and useful if he ignores personal discipline. And I'm going to be say I'm just going to say this. If there is one time in history as played out by Revelation chapter 3 and the letter to the last of the seven churches of Asia Minor, this church is by all 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 regards the most undisciplined in history. And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church in this time. It is the most. And if you want to know what undisciplined looks like, read Revelation 3 where the little heading in your Bible says the the letter to the church at Laodicea. Read that. If you want to know how undisciplined this section of time is with respect to Jesus' church, read that. The church that says, I don't need anything. The church whose mantra anymore, and I'm so sick of hearing this, I could vomit. When they walk up, people walk up who's a, who are about as spiritual, spiritually useful as an old Kleenex say, I am blessed and highly favored. You know what they're saying? I am rich and I have need of nothing. That's Laodicea. What does God say to this church? Undisciplined, self-absorbed. You are blind, you are naked, and you are poor. That's the problem when we invest our resources into the wrong treasure. We're still just poor. Although grace is the key to all Christian victory. And whilst we must not forget that we have victory by grace through faith, that's where you amen. The discipline of the individual life is only ignored at the peril of the individual soul. Why are we going into fast? In 2024 at Calvary Worship Center, because to ignore it is to have the individual soul in peril. I'm contemplating if I need to stop, and I'm going to stop. We'll use the rest of this at another time. It's time to pray. Let's pray. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can I have my elders and my ministers come? Brother Racy, you're invited, please. My elders and my ministers, please. Diana, will you please come and anoint these things?
Mike, Frankie, are you all able to make it down here or do we need to come to you? They're coming. There you are. Frankie's so tall, I'm surprised I missed her. Come on in, guys. I need you to encircle these folks. I don't have Vicky down. It's just my post-it note. There's Mike and Frankie. There's Vicky. You sure can have a prayer cloth. Will you do me a favor, dear, and anoint this? Elizabeth? Where's Elizabeth? Did she leave? Uh, Bill? Did she get a prayer cloth when she prayed? In, it, uh, no, she didn't. I want to anoint a prayer cloth, and I want you to take it to her. Okay? Here's this one, and here's this one. They went in. I think I can get them out to her. There we go. All right. All right, if I can have the elders encroach here. Come on in, Bill. Um, <clears throat> need you all to lay hands on these prayer cloths, and I'm going to hand these cards out here. We prayed for Zachary, uh, Roger and Brenda's uh, step-grandson. Was it one week ago or two weeks ago? Ma'am? Last week, that's what I thought. And we have this prayer request back. Had a horrible ba uh, uh, car wreck, and he's got brain injury, bad brain injury. They've showed me some photographs. and God, God made that boy's brain. And he can remake that boy's brain. I mean, if Jesus spits in dirt and actually makes eyes on the spot, on the fly, he can make a brain. He can restore a brain. <clears throat> Richard Arthur needs prayer for healing, back issues. Boy, I know that one. Can we come in? <clears throat> can we come in? Uh, I'll give those to you. Just lay your hands on these cloths and these prayer requests. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Sunda baronde kishata. Imaya borundo mokosika ba asita rada borundo. Ila ila barandi ishonda marato bokosha katara borundo. Ipa baba barundine isi ishanda isaka atara borundo. Holy Spirit, I pray you impart your power and your restorative powers, Father, into these lives, into Frank, Frankie and Mike's bodies. Let this prayer cloth represent that spirit of healing. Father, minister to them right now. And Jesus, Gary, will you take this back and lay hands on Frankie and Mike? That's open now. And Father, I'm asking right now that as Elizabeth came forward, Father, we anoint this prayer card, give it to her husband, Bill. Lord, that this point of contact will be uh, there for her in a place of remembrance as the book of Acts so vividly discusses. Father, for all these prayer requests, we lift them up. Vicki, touch her right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sunda we give you praise and we give you glory. As they continue to pray, I want to offer the opportunity for anybody who might be here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm telling you right now, He loves you. He loves you. He came here intentionally for the purpose of rescuing humanity. He redeemed all of humanity through His shed blood on the cross, and all He's waiting for now is for us to acknowledge that redemption and be saved. Just like that. If you're taking your cues about Jesus Christ from comedy shows 
and hearsay and the internet, you're getting it from the wrong source. You need to go to a place who knows something about Jesus and know that he came here for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not the purpose. That's what's so often portrayed. But uh, uh, John 3 and 17 says God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's God's intention about Jesus. So if you're hearing about Jesus from some other place than a real Bible preaching, God-fearing church, you're getting your information from the wrong crowd. Dump them. Come here. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus wants to know you. He already knows you. He knows every hair on your head. Now, that's not a big deal job for someone like me, but maybe you got a whole bunch of hair. He still knows the count on your head. The brother back there right now with hair down to his past his shoulders. What's going on, Josh? It's good to see you, brother. Uh, Jesus knows that hair, and he loves us. That's why he came. He ministered. He died. He was buried he resurrected, and then when he was hanging out for about 50 days, he ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. The Lord God is here for people in Jesus' name. Frankie, receive that. Mike, receive it in Jesus' name. He's your healer. <clears throat> this is my brother right here. Tommy Glass, that's my brother right there. He is my brother in the Lord. He's my brother in service. He's a colleague of mine in service in this church. He does not fail to serve this church. He does not fail. If he's here, he's serving. Let's pray. Can I, can I have, yeah, can I have, yeah, please. My elders, come on. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you touch my brother right now. Your son, I ask that you touch him. Minister to him right now in the name of Jesus. Touch him, Lord, right now. Just this pain, whatever's going on with the pain, Father, I'm asking that you supernaturally alleviate that pain. Alleviate that pain. Make it go away. Tommy doesn't want to have to deal with that pain. He's a servant of the Lord here at CWC, and Lord, he doesn't want to have to deal with that pain. So we're asking your touch in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. We bless your name. I want to thank you again. As uh, was already drawn attention to at the top of the service, thank you for all of your service. Forty-plus people serving this past week. Thank you. That's all on you. That's you guys. That's your maturity. That's how you serve the Lord. We give you, we give you all honor. Go with God. We will see you Wednesday. We have a training, youth sponsor training in the fellowship hall right now. Hmm? That means exactly what it does. Let me give this to you, brother. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I'm holding him up. Yeah, that's good. I can count on that.